Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch is sitting across from me. Rebecca is with the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Rebecca, good to see you. Good to be here, Matt. And Robert Craig, the executive director here, is the executive director here at Citizen Action is also with us. Robert, welcome. Good day, everyone. So, folks, uh, it is a big week for us here at Citizen Action. We have uh, this week announced a number of endorsements, some statewide endorsements, and then uh, actually on Friday we'll be announcing a number of state legislative endorsements. But one of the big endorsements that we announced was that uh, Citizen Action has endorsed Mandela Barnes for Lieutenant Governor, and we are very fortunate to have Mandela Barnes with us. Um, I'm going to introduce him in a second, but just want to let you know, we'll also talk about the Marquette poll, talk about the governor's race. we got some Foxconn news. We have some big news about uh, Congresswoman Pelosi being in town around a health care event that Robert will tell us more about. We're going to talk a little bit about medical marijuana reform and other issues. With that, though, we're very fortunate to have Mandela Barnes with us. Mandela, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me, and thank you for, uh, thank you for the support. Thank you to the members uh, who are listening for Trust Me With the Instant Endorsement. So, Mandela, before we jump into the issues, let me just say a little bit to our listeners about uh, Citizen Action of Wisconsin and uh, why we're endorsing you. I mean, we're not just looking for folks who would vote right if you happen to put something in front of them or most of the time, we're looking for champions who would change our state. And we've known Mandela for a long time. I remember him being a young man out of college, just going to every event <laughs> and being super progressive. Then he was an organizer at Wisdom, uh, won a state representative race in a very, very impressive one against an incumbent, wiped him out, and has been absolutely steadfast on our issues, so much so that he is a member of our co-op, joined right away when we started the Milwaukee Organizing Co-op, and is not only our board of directors, but is an officer on our board. So we are very confident that Mandela it represents our values. As everyone knows, we have an eight-year platform that is very bold about where we want to go with the state, and is someone who will fight for that and has a huge future. If he can become lieutenant governor, uh, we think there'll be, there'll, be, there'll be other big steps along the way. It's not just about this office. It's just a step. So that's why we endorsed Mandela. And how, why can I ask you, as someone who is just steadfastly progressive, right, and has been about fundamental reform the whole time, how does it feel to run statewide? And what kind of advice do you kind of get from people about whether you should actually be a strong progressive advocate on the campaign trail? Well, that's the thing. Running statewide has been really fun and carrying a bold message has been really effective. It's what people have been looking for. You know, people don't just want to show up to vote for somebody uh, just because there's a D behind their name. Uh, people want to actually hear a vision. And that's, you know, it's been much to our detriment that we haven't necessarily led with that vision. And having a chance to go around the country with uh, my, my work with State Innovation Exchange and helping progressive state legislators across the country, it, you know, you learn the importance of run, govern, run with a vision uh, <laughs> because people want to elect champions. People want to see their lives improve. People want to know that somebody's actually going to be fighting for them. So the only way that we get to that point is by, um, by offering that, that bold vision. It's the most effective thing that can be done. I, I hope every candidate running in every part of the state uh, runs on a bold, progressive platform. Um, so you have a new video out that is really great and I want to make sure that listeners know about and they watch it and they share it. Uh, and one of the things I love about the video is that it does such an excellent job of telling your story and showing how much that is the Wisconsin story. 
and it's it's really compelling and, and beautiful, and I'll let you talk about it in a minute. But you know, it talks about you know you come from Wisconsin, you come from Milwaukee, you come from uh, zip code five through two hundred six, a union family, right? A teacher and auto worker, United Auto Worker family, uh, and you have always been like a striver and like your mother's son very clearly like probably most Wisconsin sons are uh, and I think it, it's something that I I don't see a lot from elected officials running nationally or even necessarily running for governor or trying to tell their story and I think what you told is it, it's two very different things at once it's hey I'm from the north side of Milwaukee and this is, you know, what my upbringing is like, and this is what it's like now, and this is not how it should be, and I'm going to tell that very specific story, but also I this universal story of like I'm a this is my family, I'm a Wisconsinite, and I think it, it to me, it, you know, I'm I d- haven't lived your experience, and so I was in- inspired by your experience, and at the same time felt connected to you, being such a different person by watching that video. Um, but I, I think it's great, and if folks don't know Mandela, they should definitely watch it. I don't know if you want to mention anything about that or anything else about share. Well, yeah, I, I would love for people to check out the video and uh, try to be my authentic self. And I try to do that by letting other people uh, tell the story. And of course, my parents are in the video, <laughs> but I also had one of my former teachers uh, from high school. I had I did not even see her when she recorded it. So I had, I had very little influence, no influence on what she said. But we have to tell those stories. We have to. People are looking for authenticity and people can tell who's, you know, who's not actually being their real true self. And in this sort of uh, political climate, uh, again, having a background, having come from our state's poorest, our nation's most incarcerated zip code, the story resonates in other parts of the state because people have been left behind, especially in our rural communities where family farms are just going out of business, communities are losing their identity, main streets are dying across this entire state. And again, I always say people don't just feel left behind, people have actually been left behind. and to have candidates who can uh, share a similar experience, maybe not identical, but uh, mm-hmm. somewhat the same, is it, it, important for us all, uh, or it's important for us all as we work to move forward. Yeah, and what you said about authenticity is really, really important, and it's something that's getting lost sometimes in a lot of recent Democratic campaigns, where everything is poll-tested so much, it loses that organic connection. And there's a whole history uh, in, in the rhetorical tradition of believing that true eloquence is only possible if it's authentically you. And so, and unfortunately with Donald Trump, this probably is authentically him. That's partly why he's persuasive. But in your case, it's someone who believes in fundamental human rights, has empathy for everyone, wants to expand the circle of empathy in people in our state who are working together. Right. I didn't want to deliver a political message right. in my video. That was very important to me. I didn't want to you know make all these promises or just talk about politics and or talk about you know uh any any sort of partisanship it wasn't about democrats or republicans it's about our state and the need to move forward the need to be better uh than we are today um i have a question for everyone who's not mandela so i the campaign finance filings came out earlier this week and i poured over them as i'm sure everyone listening did as well. For those of you who didn't get a chance to pour over them, there are a lot of really interesting things in there. And I think in the context of this race, um, there are two candidates uh, in the Democratic primary for lieutenant governor. And the person who was not endorsed by Citizen Action, who's running against Mandela, uh, has given himself a huge amount of money 
um, in a self-financing way that we're seeing more and more of. And it's kind of like we've talked about this before on the podcast, but you have an unprecedented amount of money in politics and dark money in Citizen United. But also we have these self-funding candidates, um, whether it's like Chris Abley in Milwaukee County or whether it's um, candidates like all over the country. And so I wonder if either of you have any thoughts about that in particular. Well, there there clearly is uh, the system stacks stacks it to be a self-funder, right? Because of just how with the current campaign finance, it is so easy to raise large amounts from a few small amount of people and the right has certainly done that well, Republicans. And so Democrats, I think there's been a, I'll say a laziness to find people who can self-fund and not have to do the organizing work necessarily that goes into winning a race that's more than just money at the top, right, where you buy it all. And so, and, and we know this, right? Like, if you have lots of resources, you can run TV ads, get your name out with a lot of the folks that don't know what's going on, right? And so, so it does matter at some, at some level to have access to resources, but we have got to, and this is what I want to emphasize, we have got to stop having that be an excuse and look to candidates to show up with buckets of money. Yep. We need to con contribute our money. And so, for example, Mandela's on his way to a fundraiser right now in Menasha. That's going to be occurring Thursday night. So for most folks, you will not have heard this. But he has a fundraiser uh, Sunday night in Eau Claire with uh, citizen, uh, uh, citizen Action uh, endorsed candidate Jeff Smith. You folks who live in the Eau Claire need to get to that fundraiser and donate. Right. And you don't have to physically go to a fundraiser to Correct. donate. You could also do but it But you should go to the, come meet Mandela, right, and donate to Mandela and Jeff Smith, right? These are two candidates that don't come, up, come with buckets of money pre from their own wealth. They need us, and they're from our movement, and we have to support them. So my response is, this is a challenge to all of us in the next couple of weeks to donate to Mandela Barnes. He is one of us. He is committed. He will be a leader, right? It's part of the future. So it's up to us to donate 25, 50, 100, whatever you can do to Mandela Barnes right now. And we'll have links to donate on our webpage. So the best solution to problems of democracy is more democracy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that yeah. includes one of Robert's best lives. people contributing, yeah. right? That's part of democracy, not just pulling the lever for Mandela. And so. Or clicking like on we, Facebook. We have a very degraded system where money differentials are translated into power differentials. And we're way away from Mr. Smith goes to Washington or Mr. Barnes goes to Madison. And so we need to get back to that. But look what Bernie did. Bernie outraised a big money candidate uh, and, and set records. So it is possible if you run on a bold vision and, uh, and, and you connect with people authentically as Mandela is, is doing. We're going to hear more about the bold vision and talk a little bit more with Mandela right after this quick break. You are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Before we left, we were talking with Mandela Barnes, who is the Citizen Action endorsed candidate for lieutenant governor. And we were talking about the critical importance of contributing to candidates like Mandela who are not self-funded and 
how critical that is for all of us to make sure that if we have $25, $50, $100, we do that. So, Mandela, real quick, we were talking about some of the fundraisers. Tell us a little bit more. Tell us about how folks can contribute right now if they're listening and then other things you have coming up. Right. So uh, you can go to mandelabarns.com uh, slash donate to donate. Uh, but also we need people working the phones. This is a real grassroots operation. We're, we're, we're calling people. If you want to knock on doors, you want to sign up, get a yard sign, uh, you can do all that on mandelabarns.com. And, you know, we almost have a thousand grassroots donors for a lieutenant governor's race that not a lot of people are paying attention to. So we are, you know, very proud of the grassroots work uh, that's already been taking place. And we just need to finish strong in the next three and a half weeks. That means making the phone calls, knocking on the doors, you know, talking to your friends, neighbors, sharing the video. Uh, and also, you know, whatever. I mean, if it's a $5 contribution, $10 contribution, we will gladly accept it as if it were a $10,000 contribution. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I've said this before to Mandela, um, and I think a little bit on the podcast we've talked about this, but this is such an important seat and such an important race. And I think that there are a lot of folks, particularly political insiders, who be like, oh, no, no, lieutenant governor is not that important. But it's really important. And part of the reason why is because Mandela makes it important. He is, as Robert said, someone who is a lifelong progressive running on a true people's platform. You know, as I said earlier, you know, he his story is a Wisconsin story. It is so compelling. We've mentioned that he is young. He is very young. And, you know, investing in Mandela, in my mind, is one of the most important things that we can do to invest in the future of this state and this country. And I think that if Mandela wins as lieutenant governor and we beat Scott Walker this year, then he sky is the limit for him. And that means that sky is the limit for the people of Wisconsin because he is someone who, like, carries in his heart and in his head with really smart policies, fit, you know, the, the welfare of the people of the state. And I think, you know, there's uh, obviously a few important races. I personally really invested in the Milwaukee Sheriff's race. We've got, obviously, this very competitive gubernatorial primary. But this race is very important. And it is easy for folks, particularly, obviously, not listeners to the radio and the podcast, because, you know, we're all very informed. But our friends and family to not really know or pay attention, maybe not vote for lieutenant governor and skip it, maybe just pick a random name that looks familiar. Like, we need to make sure that people know that this is an important race and that Mandela is an important Wisconsinite. So another role in all of this, and this also relates to farm teams, having people moving up the ladder, but also to the all-important general election, uh, the lieutenant governor, if they're capable like Mandela, becomes a huge asset to the Democratic nominee. And so you want someone eloquent like Mandela who can crisscross the state and support the whole ticket because they run together, the governor and lieutenant governor. And so I think that is a critical element in all of this is that Mandela is also by far the best qualified to go and really su support the whole ticket and the uh, and especially the gubernatorial candidate who is going to be attacked as soon as they win. All the dark money and Walker money is coming crashing down the day after the primary, believe you me. And then the other thing is once Mandela does that, I think there'll be much more of a partnership between Mandela and a Democratic governor. I mean, when you have Rebecca Clayfish, I mean, what do you do with that, right? I mean, you just sort of uh, trot her out in some commissions. But in the case of Mandela, he will be highly valuable to promoting and advocating for the new governor's agenda. No, I, I could tell you that when we beat Scott Walker and Mandela is lieutenant governor, he's going to be the person that I and I think lots of progressives are going to be reaching out to uh, to work with in a really substantive way. Yeah, we have to move an agenda. It's about uh, more than just getting elected. It's about us being effective uh, in January. But in order for us to win, we have to make sure that we're engaging voters in a real way, the ones that you know were left behind, the ones that decided that it wasn't important enough to show up in 2016. And I always make the point that you know people say, well, why didn't they show up in 2016? I say, well, why didn't the candidates show up? And that's what this race is about. It's about you know not just 
running for lieutenant governor. It's about electing strong Democrats up and down the ballot because we have a lot of great candidates. We have a lot of winnable seats in spite of the gerrymandering. And I want to make sure that uh, myself, along with wonderful organizations like Citizen Action, Working Families Party, uh, that we are uh, bringing it home for the team. So, again, and not in everywhere around the state, is are there really important primaries necessarily locally? Some, some, of, some of the state legislative seats, you know, there aren't going to be big primaries. That is why it's important. If you're in that situation, please help Mandela. We will have a link to the ability to make phone calls or volunteer for canvassing uh, here on the podcast website. Um, but the phone calls are critical because you can make those from your home. Mm-hmm. You can make those anywhere in the state. And so there's, you know, it's a really wonderful way to be able to have productive conversations. And because a lot of folks don't know all the candidates, these calls are really critical coming from people, especially if you're a Citizen Action member, um, to be able to call other folks and talk about Mandela, I think is, is really critical. So please go sign up, help Mandela. Um, Mandela, we want to thank you so much for running uh, and being the leader that you are, but also for coming on the, on the show today. Yeah, happy to be here, and thank you all for and, having me. Thanks for the support. And how many miles on the car, by the way? Uh, I haven't. <laughs> I, I got to go check the odometer. I, I try not to pay attention to it until it's all said and done. So what kind of oil do you use? We can have people show up with yeah, oil, uh, oil. To, to fundraising. Uh, bring some uh, uh, 5W20 yeah, for his car. He'll t- and Penn's oil. He wants yeah. the uh, fully synthetic, I believe. Right, right. Not, high, not, high mileage, I'll assume, over 75,000 miles on the car. So... Please, uh, donations and oil. With that, uh, thank you so much, Mandela. I appreciate it. You have a great day. You too. So before we go to break, wanted to talk about a big event that's coming up here in Milwaukee on Saturday that just got pulled together, um, and it is with Congresswoman Gwen Moore and... uh, Hopefully the next House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi. No, not hopefully. Definitely coming. <laughs> Defin- not coming about hopefully yeah. the next speaker. Oh, I see, I Thank see. you. Yes, no. Um, but to talk about health care and particularly to talk about what we've been talking about, the GOP sabotage uh, of the Affordable Care Act in particular. Robert, a little bit more information for our listeners. So former Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the first woman speaker, future just to add, and, and hopefully future, uh, played a huge role in passing the Affordable Care Act in the first place. And absolutely, without her being so steadfast, we might not have got it and did a great job organizing her caucus. And if she had her druthers, it would have been more progressive and done more. Uh, But obviously, you had to accept the whole reconciliation process in the Senate. So anyway, the story here is, is as you know, and a lot of listeners know, health care is likely to be the top issue in these elections, and the Republicans and Trump cannot stop. They cannot help themselves. They're trying to take health care away from people and sabotaging them. Now they're punishing any insurance company that signs up for people who have health conditions, which is, that's Trump's uh, unilateral order a week ago. And so when uh, former Speaker Pelosi, Democratic Leader Pelosi, was going to come to town anyway with uh, Congresswoman Gwen Moore, her good friend, she said to Gwen, I would love to have a big event on healthcare sabotage. And so Gwen and her staff immediately said, let's work with Citizen Action Wisconsin, and that's how we planned it all out. That's how it developed, invited a lot of other coalition partners. But we just think that this is a way with, uh, with uh, Pelosi in town, a national figure, to really call attention to this issue and get it front and center, because the voters are thinking about how conservatives insist and can't help themselves but to sabotage 
healthcare coverage and uh, return to pre-existing condition discrimination, then that is going to be very helpful electorally, as it should, because these positions are not only incredibly unethical, they are incredibly unpopular, even with Republican voters. And so really want to thank uh, Nancy Pelosi for being willing to do this, and we're hoping for a great event Saturday morning, and it's at, you can give the location, Matt. So it's at Independence First here in Milwaukee, which is 540 South 1st Street, and uh, we asked folks to try to get there. 1045 because the event is going to start promptly at 11 so please uh, 1045 again independence first 540 south first just about two blocks from citizen action's office in walker's point uh for those of you in the milwaukee area but we'll be alerting membership but please uh come on down and uh there should be a, and of course you not only get to see, hear nancy pelosi you get to hear really one of our most uh enjoyable speakers in the whole movement gwen moore rail against healthcare sabotage and you know, Robert, you were you were talking about this as an issue. Um, we mentioned this in the previous week as it related to the Supreme Court justice nominee. This is not going away. This will be one of the fundamental issues about the Supreme Court and the fact that uh, the justice that has been put up by uh, President Trump clearly, I mean, it's very clear, would, would vote in support of uh, getting rid of the Affordable Care Act if it came before the court. So I think we're going to hear a lot about this. And the timing, again, Robert, you mentioned as an issue the notion, you know, that you'd be against the idea that we could ban pre-existing conditions, which a lot of this, you know, both legally what they're trying to do in terms of cutting the funding, but also what, what we're actually what we're talking about, the Supreme Court uh, candidate or nominee goes straight to the heart of that issue, which is, uh, you know, an 80-20 issue. So we need to keep attention on this. And remember, it's corporate rights over human rights. So they're far more interested in insurance companies getting to have a business model that only insures healthy people and leaves anyone who is not deemed a good risk by the insurance companies at the side of the road on a life and death issue like health coverage. That tells you absolutely how cynical the modern right-wing movement is and how inhuman it is, really, and unethical. I mean, this is just uh, uh, shocks the conscience even of a lot of traditional Republican voters. Well, we have to take a break. You are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We have got to talk about the Marquette poll because that's what we do all the time. Do we and have so to? <laughs> We've got to. It's we have the to. biggest media candy. They don't we, actually have to cover the candidates and the issues. They we, can just regurgitate this poll. Well, look, okay. We're going to talk about the poll because we talk about it all the time because it is the only thing that seems to be talked about in the governor's race besides that and money. Um, and we need to have Robert's, I guess, uh, what is it, uh, quarterly reminder about the limits of polling. Um, one thing that I think is, you know, it's, it's becoming very clear, and I'll just say this before I get all of your opinions about this Marquette poll, is as it relates to the Democratic governor's race, there is so little like information out there to voters who aren't plugged in progressives. So people bes not listening to this podcast, right, the general public, you see it in these polling numbers, still over half, like barely, you know, know any of these candidates. We're talking about 38% still completely undecided in the Democratic governor's race. Um, unfortunately, though, when this is like the news and there aren't really ads, there aren't really a whole lot of talk there's been really virtually almost no debates there was you know we've had one debate right 
uh, and then the the Wisconsin's choice debate. So there there's been so little that this poll I think is is actually uh, about all that exists out there. And I think maybe Tony Evers, I'll just say this: there's some bandwagon possibly going on here, right? Where it's just at thirty percent now in this poll when the next closest is seven or six percent, excuse me. So I want to have that as the stepping 6. off point. Six. Yeah. This governor's race. Let me remind everyone and real social scientists who I know in academics, I do know a lot of, uh, of academics. I got the PhD and they're oh, in the academics. It, it, no, I mean, I'm still close friends with people who do this work. Margin of error means that within it is statistically clutter. Yeah. It doesn't mean, oh, the thing that's higher is is therefore higher. It means, so literally, we have Charles Franklin, who does give a lot of good admonitions about lack of name recognition and, and, and the like, but he did say on the radio uh, the morning after on Thursday that, look, there's this trend towards Evers, that Evers went from 25% to 31% support. 31 minus 25 is 6. This is within the margin of error. Uh, a, a legitimate social scientist who was doing research would say it's meaningless. And then the other thing which Charles Franklin, the pollster, did make very clear is, is that when 60% of registered voters have, I don't know enough about Tony Evers to have a favorable, unfavorable opinion, I mean, this thing is still wide open. So, I mean... All right. he, I, I'm going to push back just a little bit on that, that it's still wide open. Because I do think it's wide open in theory. But let's talk about this in combination of campaign finance reports. It's wide open if somebody has significant resources or organization mm -hmm. to fundamentally change the dynamic, Robert. Right. And you may say it's within the margin of error, but let me go back to the poll before that that had it at 18. So we're getting out of statistical junk and into there is definite movement for Evers. And there's virtually no movement for any of the other. They're well within the junk, right, at 6.6, .6, which is the margin of error for the Democratic primary numbers. Um, so there is a real issue with none of the other candidates have enough money or what I can tell organization in the next month, unless somebody, something comes in major to one, pull Evers or just get them out of the, the funk at the bottom. It just right? means they haven't done it yet. Not that they won't. But Robert, you still have to grapple with like none of them on their own clearly has the resources or organization to change this dynamic. You don't think so? I don't. I don't know. I think... Who, who does right now? And you, you can't just go with what's in the bank and I, now And I'm either. saying this, I'm trying to, yeah. I'm trying to get some, some, yeah, yeah. some talk out of you guys here. I, tell me who right now has the organization or resources within their own campaign to do it. And then if not within their own campaign, then we start to talk about outside actors, right? Then you start to talk about a Malin or a Kelda if, say, Nayral or Emily's List or Labor on Malins jumps in. But, like, they got to jump in now at, like, million plus, right, to move them from virtually statistical mm -hmm. junk at the bottom to somewhere between 25 and 30% where Evers is. Or let, let's say he's at 20, right? Okay. So to you, Rebecca. Well, I think that they do. I mean, the last filing is not all the resources that they're going to have, but I, I thought that there was some pretty interesting stuff in that filing. I don't know that you need a million dollars to best Evers. Um, I think uh, there are candidates with a significant amount of resources, and I think, you know, I can pull it up in a moment, but. Um, 
you know, I think what was interesting to me was the amount of resources each candidate had, how much they'd spent so far and what they had spent it on. And I think that tells a really interesting story about the different campaigns that they're running and the ways in which they're trying to break through. And I think, you know, this poll is ridiculous. It is like really poorly timed. This is they're not doing another one before the primary. So right. like what is even the point? Right. right. Um, and so I think like to your point um, or to someone's point, uh, the campaigns haven't started yet for us, for those of us and listeners of, of this um, show right now. Yeah, this has been going on for already far too long. But for the average Wisconsinite, <laughs> they have no idea. It's just like it hasn't started. And really right now, like at this moment is when we're going to see that shift. We're going to see commercials on TV. People are going to be knocking on your doors. Uh, and I think, again, depending on and we can I don't know if it's helpful to kind of talk a little bit about the specifics of the filings. But I do think it's interesting to talk. OK, so I'm totally interested because I think filing money organization the poll and its inflated value because of the timing which i do think matters rebecca i think like bandwagon effect matters when there's a vacuum of anything else and whether we say it's statistical junk that these repeated polls keep coming out with evers coming up and nobody else still matters i i'm throwing that out there but yes back to to your report i mean it, it doesn't not matter but no one has actually started campaigning yet so anyway, yeah, let's let's talk about the filings. So the candidate with the most cash on hand right now is Kelda Royce. Uh, she has a north of six hundred thousand dollars as of the end of June. Lord only knows how much she has now. Assuming yeah. she spends the quarter million, right? That's a refinance on the house, and maybe not, right? That so I'll just throw I, that out there. I'm gonna assume that she's gonna spend, spend all the resources gotcha. available to her. I mean, I don't know. And I think what was interesting about her filing is that she has very little staff overhead. Um, I went through every single one and I I tallied it up. And I think the story that that tells me is that she's either waiting to hire folks, but I think more likely that she's going to put all of that money into voter communication so that's tv that's radio uh, i'm not sure what else then you have um, and let me just oh, add to you just just to parenthetically there have been a lot of candidates who have real burn rate issues that hire up all the staff and the staff doesn't actually lead to voter contact in, in terms of the general public so you're absolutely right i think it's really smart not to burn a lot of money on that and be your own campaign strategist well you know i think i think it's a strategy and i think um, you know, with Tony Evers' campaign, you know, folk, stuff that folks um, have been saying for a while is, wow, he really is spending a lot of money on staff. And, you know, I, I'm not sure what's coming of it, but it could be something I'm not in touch with that campaign. But uh, he has less cash on hand than people who have been in the race, um, way less time than he. Um, not just Kelda, but Malin Mitchell has more cash on hand than Tony Evers. Now, Malin is spend the Mitchell campaign, I should say, is spending money on staff, but they're spending money on field staff. And, you know, that tells me a story about their strategy, their strategies, they're mirroring real field campaigns. And so I think that that's interesting as well. So if we're just taking for a moment the Mitchell campaign and the Roy's campaign, those are two very different strategies and both have significant amount of resources compared to the rest of the field. So R real quick, I, Robert, and then I'll let you go on that as it relates to, I, I totally agree with what you're saying about the Evers. And since I was talking about who might help those other two candidates, Evers is probably on his own. Like I'm unaware of any major spending independent group that might come in. So I just wanted to add that because we've already stated what could happen for Roy's and, and, and um, uh, Mitchell. Robert. So, and Matt, your points are well taken that you need money to beat Evers' name or, recognition. Or organization, I, which... Which costs money. Uh, so, mo for the most part, uh, Mike McCabe is going to try to prove otherwise, and I hope he does. 
um, because it would be good for our model. Uh, you know, you're right about there need to be massive voter contact. It is interesting that Kelda has more than double what Tony Evers has cash on hand. Uh, but, you know, you have Tony Evers with a 26-point lead, okay? So in normal governor's races, all the money says, oh, he's going to be the governor. I better give now because then I'll have more of a relationship with him. Why isn't that happening? So the money, you know, the people who just try to contribute in case someone's going to be governor, there's a lot of that stuff, have not done like what they did with Jim Doyle in 2002, where money started flowing because they thought he was going to be the governor and they wanted to kowtow to him. And so that's really interesting, I think, that you'd think Tony, as this dominant frontrunner, would be rolling up big contribution numbers, and he's not. Well, you know, I think... Um I think Tony deserves a lot of credit for raising a significant amount of money um, over a slightly longer time than the other candidates, but it's it's hard um, in this environment. And I think what was, is interesting is in terms of how much he's raised from individuals, he is by far raised the most from individuals. Um, you know, Kelda's right behind him, but she counts as an individual and she has given her campaign a lot of money. So I think there there is a lot of support for him. I think, you know, if we if we take Robert's point and extend it to PACs, then uh, that follows. But I think we're, we're going to take a break and keep talking about this because this is a great conversation. I think our listeners are interested in this. We're listening to the Battle of Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground, Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Before we left, we were having a great conversation about the governor's race. And Rebecca, I think I interrupted you to go to break. Well, you know, I just I just do want to say that I think Tony Evers certainly has support. He has name recognition. He has grassroots support. He has raised the most from individuals at, per this last filing. Um, you know, do I think that uh, he's a front runner in this race or that he's going to win? Well, I, I don't I don't know to either of those two things. Um, but I, I think, you know, Robert had made the point that I was responding to um, in the last segment that uh, that, you know, it, it typically someone with this much of a, a lead consistently in polls, it would get all of the resources because the establishment and folks who want something out of the governor's office would say, that's the guy. And we want to curry favor with that guy. And that's not exactly happening. Um, it's certainly not happening with PACs and people with political committees. And with individuals, a lot of individual money is actually interest in money. So we do need to make a distinction between that and Bernie's small donors, for example. Totally, totally. Yeah. Well, but it is still instructive that nobody else has managed to do the Bernie thing, right? Well, Get, have more small donors than Tony Evers. I do want to talk about Mike McCabe because sure. Mike McCabe has raised a lot of money from small donors. Mm -hmm. And I went through his filing and I saw a lot of familiar names um, and it was pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of people. I mean, he's raised in the, in the last two cycles, he's raised $260,000 now $60,000 from himself. So let's say $200,000 all from people who have given $200 or less, mostly less. So that's a lot of people. And I'm not saying it's quite the Bernie thing. If we're talking about like, you know, catching on fire, um, running away with it, out raising Hillary Clinton. I, but I am talking about that because I do think that that's critical for our model to work. Robert, you did say you were, you would hope to see Mike do well because it would be proof of our model. It would be proof of our model without like going viral per se in the small do donor money. And, 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 and that is critical. And right? let me just say, and I've talked to Mike about this, and by the way, since our organization hasn't endorsed, I'll talk to any of these candidates that wants to talk to me, but some of them talk to, <laughs> me, one, more of, yes, he talk to me more than others. Uh, so he has a theory that he has a higher 
leadership caliber super activist across the state that is going to recruit a lot of volunteers and really do voter contact on a mass scale. And that certainly happened in previous times in our history. Uh, we didn't always have this thing where everything gets paid for through consultants. And so if Mike can show the theory of the case that you can do that with volunteers and field isn't just 3%, it's which it, what the consultants like to say, it's something more than that, that would be fantastic because that would be a blow against the big money campaign system. So I hope Mike proves it. I don't know of an example of statewide race of that working, but then again, Bernie's model had never occurred until Bernie did it. So let's be open to new possibilities here. Well, um, back to the Evers thing, because I, I do think you raised an interesting point in both of you about the idea that this has his supposed front runner status hasn't led to a lot of giving at, at a scale that you might have seen in the past. I also believe that's because Tony doesn't really have the support of any of the major institutions within the what I would say the Democratic or Progressive Party. And that's partially why a lot of that money is sitting on the sideline and those folks cannot figure out this field. In fact, many have been waiting for one of the other candidates to emerge. Um, that may happen, right? As you said, the campaign really hasn't occurred. The problem is, right, if nothing happens and now this poll is out and back to the timing and why I wanted to talk about it because there will be no other poll like this that could show any of the movement. And so Tony gets kind of the last big bump to say like, look, man, this thing is, I'm the one, right? So will that start to occur even more, especially if some of those big independent players don't come in on behalf of anyone else at a, you know, outside of what we are already predicting. So this is the dynamic, and I, I appreciate the conversation. I think it's very interesting, and I know a lot of citizen action uh, activists are all over the map. We know this from our evaluations in terms of where people feel, but uh, certainly uh, McCabe, Kelda, um, and uh, Malin have been the, the three that really have captured most of the imagination. And just let me be clear, those players do exist here. So... Um, Emily's List could certainly do this for Kelda easily. Uh, as far as all the very strong labor support for Malin, in 2002, when I was state, uh, state political director for CIU and Matt was deputy director, actually, we put two and a half million into a governor's primary. And that's way bigger now because that was a huge, that was a, it was a much smaller spending. You know, every year the, the money gets bigger and bigger. If they even put that raw amount in, I'm not even talking about inflated with the new system, that would turn this race. So it's entirely possible that, that a blitz is going to about to start. Um, and so we need to be aware that this is a very unsettled situation and that Tony can get through if things stay the way they are. But the thing, if things change, you're going to change in the next month. One other thing before we get off the Marquette poll, because I want to actually use it to transition to one uh, another topic around Foxconn, but um, one of the really critical findings is we've talked before, I've talked about how this election really still is a, an evaluation of Trump and it, it, it is a largely viewed nationally. Um, Trump's support or approval between men and women mm -hmm. is amazing. I think I don't the have gap, it right. The gap. The gap. Fifty-three, I think it's either 53 or 54, I don't have it right in front of me, percent of men support Trump 30. It's like 30 for women. So, folks, the blue wave is, it's, it's a wave made up of, of women. Not that there aren't men involved, but 
uh, that that statistic is everything you need to know about like where the opportunity lies this fall. It's just, uh, and I don't think that's a shocker, but that there's there's quantification in polling showing up to to reveal something. And it is worth pointing out that the the margin of error on on the issue questions is even smaller because that applies across Republicans and Democrats. So that's back in the five points. So. Um, uh, that 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 is very real. The other big topic is Foxconn. There doesn't appear to be any major changes in this poll on Foxconn, but definitely demonstrating that Foxconn is still not popular. Walker has been on a massive publicity tour for the last you know few weeks around this, and it doesn't appear that it's changing anything fundamentally on Foxconn. And as the scandal continues to unfold about what's really going to happen with Foxconn. Uh, I think it's going to be a huge issue in the general, and we'll, we'll get worse for Scott Walker. It is worth pointing out Matt Flynn did go up. His first ad is just absolutely savaging the Foxconn deal. Um, so he is he's, he's certainly helping get, get that message out. One other thing around Foxconn that I want to mention that is of, of great interest, um, we talked about last week the study, or not the study, but the, re- the revelation that Foxconn cut a deal that will allow them to include salaries up to $400,000, which means like 93, 94% of the jobs can pay $30,000 or less. Well, that information is actually starting to have, uh, in their world, in the neoliberal economic world, major implications. Um, Because the wage scales are so muddy, Officials in Mount Pleasant are now saying that this is having a major impact in their ability to actually get sort of the broader benefits that they thought they were going to get. Well, folks who don't know, Mount Pleasant is not like a cheap area to live. It's a suburb. And they were assuming that this would lead to uh, uh, residents and well over a thousand they were hoping for growth. Right. And that's how they help pay for some of the taxes that they're going to be on the hook for. Well, they now know that most of these people aren't going to be able to afford to live there. This is going to be massive commuting to low-wage jobs, right? And this is having an impact in their ability to sell this to developers. Developers are now showing reluctance to pursue projects in the village. They're contending that, and, and, and of course, skyrocketing land prices because of this, and that because of other barriers, that this is going to really limit their ability to actually get the bang for the buck that they thought they were getting, right? And this, does, this goes without saying that if you have these kind of jobs, we're going to be paying for it on the back end for Medicaid, you know, all of the social services that are going to go with jobs that aren't keeping up with where we need to be paying folks. Um, so we'll have a link to this article. It's, it's uh, very interesting. Um, it, uh, it was in the Daily Reporter. Um, so that's just – and these are folks who, like, are true believers in this kind of model and really want to see it working. But, you know, hey, this is Keynes, right? Like, if the jobs yeah. don't pay – the stuff don't well, trickle down into the community. Just to reflect, I was in the infamous 10-hour Foxconn hearing and testified <laughs> in it, and every business leader, business associations in the damn state stood up there and sanctimoniously announced these would all be 50,000-plus jobs. And it's all on Wisconsin Eye, and guess what? Either they're naive or they lied for Foxconn. And they also, of course, made all sorts of environmental promises that turned out to be totally false as well, as we know. So remember that they did a say anything thing to sell this, and now and now as this all leaks out, it's going to be worse and worse. But this is Walker's reelection theory that he's successful because he bribed a multinational corporation to come here and fleece us. So, 
we'll continue to track track Foxconn. We do think it's going to be a big issue. It's already now uh, definitely an issue here in the governor's race. But with that, we've got to wrap up the show. Right? We didn't even get to talk about Russia. I know. I know. It just, well, there's a lot to talk about. And this show is going to be heavily political over the next few weeks. There's nothing to see there, right, Rebecca? Scott Walker and Maria Butina. <laughs> Putin was very strong in his denials, I understand. So do want to give a heads up. We'll be releasing on Friday a whole list of state legislative candidate endorsements. So please uh, go check that out. We'll be promoting those over the next next few weeks here on the podcast but with that we got a roll you're listening to the battleground wisconsin we'll see you next week